At Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowd. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men in like nature with you, and we, are, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from the heavens and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. We'll go that far and then we'll cover the rest as we go through the sermon. You may be seated. You know, we come again in this 14th chapter of Acts, and there's so much information here. You know, but we read about the miracle again and how the people reacted. They thought Paul and Barnabas were gods. We touched on last time, you know, that it might have been out of fear. Because rumor had it the gods flooded that area because they didn't accept them previously. But here they accept them as gods. They want them to be gods, and right away they want to offer sacrifices to them. Why? Why do they want to offer sacrifice? Have you ever thought of that? They're pagan non-Jews. If they want to sacrifice an oxen, Why do Mayans sacrifice human beings on top of their pyramids? I've stood on the top of Chichen Itza where the altar is. You could see where they put the people and they would kill them. Hundreds of them. Why? Why did the Jews in the past, when they strayed from the word of God and followed Molech, sacrifice their children? Offer up their children to be burned. Years ago when we went to the church in Milwaukee, there's an article in the paper about the ash piles they were finding along the lake in different places with bones. What brought the attention was the human bones they found in one of them. Satan worshipers offering sacrifices. Why? 
Why all this death and sacrifices from people that don't know God? All men know that they are not right with God. They know their sins separate them from God. Whatever religion they get into, they are trying to appease God because they know they are sinful. The true God has placed that in their hearts. Yes, some men can suppress it. Suppress it so deeply, but deep down they know they are not right with God. So what do they do? They entertain themselves, get busy, drugs, drinking, whatever. Anything but to have quiet time where that voice, that inner voice from God keeps telling them that you are not right with me. The only way we can be right with God is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, none other. But all these false religions will try to appease a God to be right with God. It's in man's heart. And when we witness to men, all we are doing is reminding them that they are not right with God. It's something they already know. They are separated from God. They are suppressing it. And they may get angry because if you remind them of it, then they have to deal with it in their mind. But we must remind them of that separation. Tear down their false appeasements to false gods. And that is exactly what Paul and Barnabas do in this in their message, their sermon to these people. They tear down their false appeasement, their false hope. Here they want to sacrifice to them. Starting in verse 14, But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowds, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. Notice Paul and Barnabas immediately refused the glory. Remember what God says, I will not share my glory with another. Right away, they refused. Refused to take any glory. They're like men. He said, we're just like you. We have the same nature. We have the same struggles. Don't glorify us above you. And that's like us as believers. It's not that we're so good. It's just that we're better off because Jesus Christ covers our sins. In Psalm 33, it tells us, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. You know, we're all human. We all started in the same situation with a sin nation, sin nature. But if it wasn't for the work of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be any better than the non-believers because that's what we would be. We're saved by him and transformed by him. But deep down, we all know we sin and fall short of the glory of God. We have the temptations. 
but God uses us even in our sinful condition to advance his kingdom. Because it's Holy Spirit is what works through us. And we are to point people to the one true God, just as Paul and Barnabas are doing here. It is the only God that we must present. Yeah, the message can be adjusted to the circumstances. When Paul and Barnabas preached to the Jews, they used the Old Testament and demonstrated how everything pointed to the Messiah. But here, these people aren't familiar with the law. They're non-Jews. So Paul starts with a rebuke. A rebuke. Turn from these vain things to the living God. We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. That's a pretty bold statement when they're trying to raise you up to be gods. And you're telling these people that you're on the wrong path. You got it wrong. Your ancestors got it wrong. Your fathers and your grandfathers who taught you this stuff, they were all wrong. You must turn to the living God. And then Paul goes into what that God has done for all people. Turn from these vain things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that, that is in them. Notice Paul goes right to factual statements about the Creator God. And he'll do this in the future and future sermons as well. He just states it boldly as a matter of fact. The Creator God who made it all, including you, and that truth stands on its own. That truth stands on its own. We must remember as believers, the power is in the word of God. It's not in our manipulation of people or us trying to win an argument with science facts and going on and on. The power is in the word. It's biblical truths that bring people to repentance. I know when I was witnessing to my brother, he'd always bring up this or that, so I'd get information on that, information on that. But then I read or heard somebody say, don't do that. Just stick to the Word of God. Use the Word of God, because all those are, are just trails to distract you. You can go on for years. And he met with me time and time. We'd discuss I started using the Word of God, and he started using a lot more adjectives that I didn't like. And then he wouldn't meet with me after a while. But I could see the power in the Word of God. When I used the Word of God, the anger in him came out. He was into some pretty nasty stuff, satanic stuff. And that Word of God, you could see the power in it. It is the Word. I learned that early on when I became a Christian in the pro-life movement. We were protesting. I was arguing with a bunch of homosexuals. 
and it was getting a little louder, a little louder, and this black minister came up, and I had a whole, I was getting surrounded, and he put his arm on me, he said, boy, you're doing it wrong. And I said, why? He said, here, I'll show you something. He said, read this psalm. Put your head down and read this. I read a few paragraphs, I looked up, everybody was gone. He says, the power is in the word. He said, stick to the word. Don't try to argue on their basis. Stick to the word. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, he's rebuking. Men, turn from these vain gods that your fathers worshipped. That's what he's saying. Turn from them. Turn to the living God. He has the answer for him. And this living God is the creator God. He made you. He made the heavens and the earth. And notice, he's just going on, letting the word of God stand on its own. And that's what we do when we boldly rebuke with God's facts, not ours. Then he goes on in the patience of God. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Like he says, he allowed these idolaters to walk in their own ways and he didn't bring judgment right away. He was patient. But now that the gospel message is presented, he will be less patient with people who hear it. Judgment will come quicker. You know, we saw that when Jesus said, you know, for the places where the gospel message was preached, there'd be a harder judgment for them than the pagan nations. Because they had the word preached. Not hearing the word is not a valid excuse not to come to God, though. God's signs are all around us. It'll be used as an excuse. But men are without excuse. Romans 2.10 For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. The conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. The conflicting thoughts accuse them. They know there's a God. But then they go and they make excuses or they make the false gods and say, well, we're worshiping this God. That should be good enough. Like all roads go to heaven. Excuse, excuse. What Paul is saying, your minds should recognize divine intervention by what you see in nature. And that will bring you to judgment. It's not because you didn't hear the gospel that you're judged. It's because of your sin that you're judged. You know, we hear, well, what about this noble native that never heard the gospel? Why would God punish him? Because he's a sinner. That's why God punishes us, because we're sinners. Verse 17, Yet he did not leave him without a witness, 
For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Common grace. We recognize that there's a God by common grace, how he provides for man, this wonderful planet, all the foods, all the variety. It's from God. Psalm 119, or Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Day by day, men see the glory of God. It's all around us. Men are without excuse. And in Romans Paul Lake makes this statement perfectly clear. But this is what men do. They think Paul and Barnabas are gods. They make false gods. People worship stone things, wooden things that they carve. They know they have to worship, they know that they have to sacrifice because they know they're not right with God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. They're taking and robbing God of his glory, and God will not share his glory with another. They will be punished. And that's exactly what we have in these verses. They're taking God's glory and giving it to Roman gods and trying to pin it on Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas would have nothing to do with it. They rejected it. They denied it. These people, they're appeasing their false God. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. This was their tradition. This was what they knew from young on. And it's hard to break old habits. It's hard to break things that people thought were true their whole lives. How they thought or feel that they are true. 
We must rely on God's word, not our feelings. And if it goes against our feelings, God's word must stand. We can feel many things in this world, but it doesn't mean it's right. And many times the laws of gravity or the laws of nature will prove how wrong we are. Saw a video of a guy jump off a roof onto a trampoline about 20 feet. Now he probably felt that that thing would hold him and he had great confidence that it would work out well. But the laws of physics are when you jump, when you're a 200 pound man that far, the trampoline is just going to fold and it did. He relied on his feelings. He was feeling a lot worse after that, I believe. And I know we were playing softball one time, and then the ambulance came, and I thought, well, what happened? And a guy felt he could have his friend drive at him at 40 miles an hour, and that he could jump up and have the car pass underneath him. Well, his feet made it to the windshield, the top of the windshield, and as he laid there with two broken legs, his feelings were wrong. Again, the laws of physics. So we can feel many things and act confidently with them, but it doesn't mean it's right. I mean, I think his feelings were more for his broken legs than they were for anything else at that time. But we must not rely on our feelings. Now, that's what these people are doing. They're relying on their feelings Old habits, they die hard. But Paul and Barnabas were able to stop their sacrifice for the moment. But these people, remember, they hardly could restrain them. Their hearts were full of conflict. You know, and we don't have the true God. There will be conflict in our hearts. There will be confusion in our hearts. And a confused heart is open for manipulation. A confused heart is open for manipulation. And Satan will bring people about to fan the flames of a confused heart. Particularly when it comes to God. If there is confusion in your heart, if there is questioning of God's word in your heart, believe me, Satan will fan those flames to try to separate you from God. He will always have his agents coming along and working alongside to try to destroy people's faith or any work that he starts. Verse 19, But the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the... Excuse me. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. These wicked Jews, wicked God-haters, wicked truth-haters, who were agents of Satan, (coughs) left their own town because they couldn't stand that Paul and Barnabas would have success anywhere. Remember, they tried to stone him before... You know, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews 
with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. These Jews went to different towns to go after them. You know, it says in Proverbs 21.10, The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. They desire evil. They're used by Satan. That's exactly what these Jews were used by. Again, wicked agents of Satan love one thing. They love to shed innocent blood. It's in their nature. Murderers and liars. And they will go through great efforts to complete their task. Just look at the efforts that the abortion industry goes through to keep killing children in this nation. They will jump through any hoop. They will lie. They will cheat. They will sell body parts to keep the killing going. Innocent blood is given glory to Satan. It's robbing God of his glory. And it's shameful. But these cronies, they decided to stone Paul. But just think how fickle these people were. One minute they're going to offer sacrifices to him, and the next minute they're stoning him, which is a misnamer, stoning. It should be called rocking. Because you're not throwing little stones at them, you're throwing rocks that'll crush skulls and ribs. But these people, and people without God, without conviction, are open for manipulation, just like these people. If they don't have the law of God to stand on, if they're standing on their feelings, you can see how fickle they are. One minute they want to worship them, offer sacrifices, and the next minute they're throwing rocks at them. And they felt like they achieved their task. Because stoning usually resulted in death. Verse 20, But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. Again, the wicked thought he was dead. I believe God miraculously healed him. To be in stone where people think you're dead, you have to be hurt pretty bad. Again, it was more being rocked. And notice Paul goes right back into the city. I think this had unnerved these fickle people. They already seen him heal a man, and now they thought he was dead, and yet here he is coming back into the city. Now they're probably thinking, well, maybe he is a god. Or maybe the god he's preaching about has great powers. But I think it was Paul putting the fear of God into them that God's word would not be silenced. He was stoned. But I believe he had some success also there in Lystra. Let's notice what it says. But when the disciples gathered about him. You know, Paul had a group of believers that gathered about around him. Now, were some of these disciples that came with them that aren't mentioned in the scripture could be. 
But I think as we go on in the text, we'll realize that there were new believers there. And they were putting themselves between Paul and these people surrounding him. But being stoned once, that was enough. They left the region. You know, there's nothing wrong with leaving when your life is in danger, even as a believer. You don't have to go in and get martyred. God may martyr you, but you don't have to put yourself out there. And when one door closes, another one open. And they went to Derby, And it says they had great success. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. You know, I don't know how long they're staying at these cities as they're traveling around. Some commentators, commentators think a month or two. Some say as much as six months. We're really not given that time frame, ways I haven't seen it yet. But it seems it was long enough to bring people up to maturity or close to maturity as believers. Because after Derby, they retook their route and they went back to, to the routes that they went through. In verse 21. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they went back where all these disciples that they were established prior, they went back to mature them more, to bring them up to the point where churches could be planted with elders and deacons, leaders, leadership. So they had to spend some time in these areas. But also the Holy Spirit was bringing men to maturity maturity quickly, I believe. Ready to stand for the faith. Then they passed through Poseidon, came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attila. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples." This is the completion of his first missionary journey. But now he's back telling all that happened to the disciples and the success they had. But notice they started churches. They went in, they got converts. Then they matured them. Then they brought up elders and deacons and established established churches. Same thing we do today. Send missionaries or church plants in different towns, get a few people interested as it grows up. We bring up people to eldership. And then the church is left to stand on its own. With supervision through the denomination, what we have now, 
But it's the same. But it starts with the preaching of the word, making converts. They're maturing them, making sure they stay on the right track. But there's one thing that we don't have much in this nation today, what is mentioned here, but I think it's coming. I think we'll get a taste of it. That through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. Look, our nation has changed in the last eight months. You're seeing more and more rhetoric about those Christians. I think we're on the terror list now as the biggest threat, white males or white conservatives. Is judgment coming to this nation? I believe it is. I believe God will purify his church. Where was the church 50 years ago when the abortion started? Many other sins that have been promoted. God will purify his church. He will back his church into the corner where we have to decide where our anchor is set. Judgment starts first in the household of God. That's why we must not be fickle. We must have a firm foundation. Look at the brothers and the sisters around you. Your life may depend on them one day. Are they anchored? Are you anchored? Or you will stick with God's law? Because as I see it in this nation right now, we are losing. And it's only by the work of Jesus Christ and his church that this nation will change. There will be no political savior. It's when the church stands up, rebukes, and says, Thus says the Lord against this wickedness. And there will be tribulation. There will be trials. It is when God will move in his people. What will it be in a year from now if it continues the way it is? Where we'll have to have papers to go wherever we want? Papers to go to a church? Government is overstepping its bounds. And godly men must stand up. Godly women must stand up and say, no, thus says the Lord. That is the salvation for this nation. It's the salvation for us. The tribulation, will it be a blessing for the church? I believe it will. It will sift people. It will grind people to decisions. God will have a purified church, a remnant. And we have to decide in our hearts, are we going to be the ones to stand and stand for his truth? Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, as we see Paul and Barnabas, they went through many tribulations, many trials, and they'll go through many more. But the church grew. When the church grows, the haters of God's church will come out in droves to fight against it, expect it. 
That is a sign that God is working when the wicked become so restless. It is your word that changes hearts. It's your word that changes people. It is your word that changes nations. Let us stick to that word, not to our own understanding. In Jesus' name.